Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the contrast and kind of mindset between those on a cruise ship, like the love boat, and those on a battleship. So again, if you're on a cruise ship, who are the most important people to you? The pastry chef? The entertainment director? Maybe the celebrities that are on the cruise ship? But when people start shooting bullets, when the missiles start coming in, when the battle rages, you don't need a pastry chef, and you don't need an entertainment director. What you need in that moment are leaders. That's what we want to talk about this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with us to First Peter chapter 5. As you're doing that, I just want to refer to Acts chapter 20. It's a story about Paul planting churches, and he's planted the church in Ephesus. He's been there three years, and there's this very emotional speech as Paul begins to depart. He's appointed elders. He tells them it's time for him to leave. This was the pattern that established churches. They would appoint elders and move on. And what he says to them is when he leaves, the wolves are going to move in. They're going to seek to devour the sheep. And it is the responsibility of the elders to protect the sheep from the wolves. He says the wolves are going to come from without. The wolves are going to come from within. The calling of the elder is to protect the sheep from the wolves. It has a very strong sense of urgency and protection which is exactly the same as what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, It starts in verse 1 with the word therefore. It's really important to connect this conversation with what preceded it, that there are going to be fiery trials. There's going to be persecution. Judgment begins with the household of God, that there... uh, It's likely that some of the saints are going to suffer for the cause of Christ. Therefore, in light of that, so what Peter has just said is we're not on a cruise ship, we're on a battleship, and the war is raging, and it is the responsibility of the leadership to protect the sheep. It's really important to understand that the role of a pastor or an elder in a church is not to be a meeting attender. It's not to make some sort of organizational business decisions. It is to be a shepherd to protect the sheep. That's what he talks about then in chapter 5. He says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So Peter identifies himself as a fellow elder. Peter's not a classroom professor telling the pastors how to do their job. 
He was a pastor elder in the Jerusalem church. He's walked in their shoes. He knows exactly what they're going through. And so kind of elder to elder, he's exhorting them. Now, it gets a little bit confusing, but the terms elder, presbyter, bishop, overseer, shepherd, pastor, those are all terms that are interchangeable in the New Testament. They're, all not, uh, they're not all different offices. Basically, elder is kind of the office and authority, and pastor or shepherd or overseer reflects the responsibility, the, the job description. So biblically, every pastor is an elder, every elder is a pastor. It doesn't mean all pastors are paid as, as a vocation, but they're pastors. Elders are not meeting attenders, they're not decision makers, they're shepherds out with the people, overseeing and protecting and leading and guiding. So he identifies himself as a fellow elder, a fellow witness of the sufferings of Christ. Even though it is true that Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ, this word witness is not eyewitness, it's like testifier, proclaimer. A fellow proclaimer of the message of the suffering of Christ is what he's saying, and fellow partaker of the glory when Jesus returns. We talked last week about kind of this epic battle on the field for the championship and a desire not to be in the bleachers, not to just wear the uniform on the sideline, but to be in the battle. If it's going to be a battle where we are bruised and bloodied and we leave everything we have for the cause, the desire to be part of that in order to ultimately share in the victory celebration. That's in essence what Peter just said, that he is a fellow soldier, he's a fellow battler, and uh, he looks forward to the celebration of victory with them together. Starting then in verse uh, 2, he talks about the commands, the actual exhortation. Just before we look at that, it's helpful to remind ourselves what we know to be true about Peter. Peter, without question, will go down as a Hall of Famer leader in the New Testament church. Peter shared remarkable moments with Jesus. Peter was called to be one of the 12 apostles. Peter was the guy that walked on water. Peter was there as one of the three in the transfiguration, just a remarkable moment. Peter was there in the great miracles when Jesus calmed the sea, when he fed the 5,000, when Jesus uh, raised from the dead Jairus' daughter. Peter was one of only three that was invited in to witness that moment. Peter uh, was, was one that ran to the tomb and discovered the empty tomb of the resurrected Christ. Peter preached a great sermon, one of the all-time great sermons in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Peter is a hall of famer. But we also need to remind ourselves that Peter needed to go through the wilderness school of leadership. Peter was by no means perfect. Peter was the one who walked on water, but he's also the one that took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, what's the deal? Where is your faith? Peter was the one that when Jesus said he was headed to Jerusalem, 
in order to be crucified, Peter wanted to stop him, and Jesus had to look at him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Imagine that moment. Peter was the one that, uh, in the upper room, was one of the disciples that was unwilling to wash the feet of Jesus because of their own pride and ego. When Jesus kind of rebuked them and began to wash feet, it was Peter that pulled his feet back, said, Jesus, never will you wash my feet. Jesus said, Peter, if you don't humble yourself and let me wash your feet, you're off the team. It was Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane that fell asleep when he was supposed to be watching with Jesus in his agony. It was Peter that took a sword and chopped off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest, and Jesus had to put the ear back on. A few hours after that, it was Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus. And at one moment, he looks up and he sees Jesus. They go eyeball to eyeball, and Jesus knew that Peter had denied him. It was Peter that was convinced because of his failures, he was off the team. In John 21, he needs a recall from fishing back on to the team. And it's Peter that Paul says in the book of Galatians got so caught up with the legalists that Paul had to publicly rebuke him for his legalism. Peter was by no means a perfect leader. It's helpful just to realize that God calls very imperfect people to positions of leadership, but needs to take them through a process to refine them and to grow them and to mold them and to change them. Most of us have spent a significant amount of time in the wilderness school of leadership in order to be ready to be useful for the master. So as Peter exhorts them as a fellow leader, we are reminded that that Peter's story was a story of ups and downs and ultimately of great triumph. Verse 2, then, the commands, the exhortation, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. This imagery of shepherding as a description for leadership is very common in both the Old and New Testament. It would have been something that the people in the ancient world were very familiar with. They saw every day, would have been powerful imagery, not as familiar to us. One of the unique aspects of shepherds in the ancient Near East is they actually kind of lived among the sheep. They didn't get out in front of them. They didn't push them from behind. They got in the mix. Their job was to feed the sheep, to protect the sheep, to lead the sheep, to protect them from the wolves trying to attack them, to make sure they had food and water and were healed when they were injured. So the idea of overseeing the sheep is a vivid imagery that every single sheep in the flock was the responsibility of the shepherd, and the shepherd understood that. The shepherd uh, understood that was his responsibility. Now, I have great respect for cowboys. I personally consider myself a cowboy wannabe. So I, I, I love cowboys. But get in your mind this image of cowboys moving a herd of cattle across the plains. 
and a couple of them have whips and they're cracking the whip and the dust is flying and all the noise and chaos to move the cattle. That is not the image of a shepherd. As a matter of fact, we're going to use that as kind of the contrary image. Shepherding was quiet. It was in the middle of the sheep. The shepherd kind of moved and the sheep followed because the sheep knew him and trusted him. It was a much more relational uh, approach to, to taking care of the livestock. It is interesting, twice, once in verse 1 and now early in verse 2, he talks about the sheep among you, the elders among you. There is this idea that using this imagery of a shepherd, the shepherd can only be a shepherd if he's among the sheep. The shepherd can't do this remotely. The shepherd can't do it, you know, like uh, through the internet or through a phone call or something. The whole idea is the shepherd lives with the sheep right in the middle of them, among them. Now, while that seems kind of obvious, there is a bit of a problem in our culture. It's built on several layers of problems, but as people become kind of selfish and self-absorbed and individualized and independent, there's kind of this movement in American church culture that I'm a Christian, I don't really need the church, and basically I can get my teaching online or a podcast or on television, just kind of tune in and that will work just fine. There's all kinds of problems with that. But it's good to remind ourselves, I think your primary teacher should be someone who lives among you. It should not be someone on the internet. It should not be someone on the radio. It should not be someone in a podcast. It should be someone who lives among you. There's kind of this movement of these satellite churches and you have a celebrity preacher and he's beamed to all these different campuses and people literally show up and they watch the preacher on a screen like they're watching television and their primary teacher doesn't live anywhere around them. There's no accountability in that. There's real, in my opinion, real concerns with that. I've told you this before. I think you should know how your primary teacher treats his wife, how he's raised his children, how he spends his money, how he lives his life, who he is in the mix of the sheep. I think there's critical and necessary accountability in that. I'll just suggest to you, if you knew what was going on in the private lives of many of these Christian celebrities, you would be greatly disappointed. The shepherd needs to be among the sheep. There shouldn't be layers of insulation between the pastors and the people. The pastors, the elders, the leaders should live and walk among the people. That's kind of this whole idea of being a shepherd Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Now, there's different ideas about what exactly that means. Some think maybe it means like the pastors were lazy and they kind of had to be, be forced to do their job. That seems unlikely to me. 
I think the most likely explanation, understanding we're talking about a culture of persecution. We're talking about fiery ordeals. We're talking about people that are going to eventually, many of them, be arrested, imprisoned, many of them put to death. Some suggestion that maybe at this point Nero's already started burning Christians at the stake. So if there is persecution, who are the first ones to be persecuted? Answer, the leaders. That's always the way it works. Of all the apostles, all but one, as far as we know, were ultimately martyred for the cause of Christ. Maybe John lived into old age, but the rest were all executed for their faith. Who do you persecute if you're going to persecute the church? Answer is you start with the leaders. So a lot of scholars think that among these churches, as it is in many places in the world today, there was a hesitancy for the leaders to step forward because it was almost like a death sentence. So there was kind of this, no, I don't want to do it, you do it. I don't want to do it, you do it. And kind of this arm twisting, and that's what Peter's talking about. It shouldn't be under compulsion where somebody's twisting your arm in order to do it. But rather, he says, according to the will of God. In other words, there should be a strong sense of call that God is calling me to be a leader, to be an elder, and I will take the consequences that go with that. Now, around the world today as we speak, that is still true in many places in the world. There are brave, courageous leaders who feel a sense of call to lead the church of Christ, understanding it's almost guaranteed that they will be persecuted, imprisoned, and possibly executed. These are amazing, brave, courageous people. That is certainly not the climate in which we find ourselves here in America. But there is a reality to the fact that anyone who has assumed a position of leadership knows that as soon as you do that, you put a target on your chest. That is absolutely true when we're talking about spiritual leadership. This is a battle. There is an enemy that wants to destroy the church, and the enemy starts with his leaders. I have this discussion often with young men who in their college years, they get very excited about Jesus. And often they translate that into, I think God wants me to be a pastor. And I always kind of pursue, are you sure that's what God is calling you to? We need really excited Christians to be architects and to be doctors and lawyers and, and plumbers and electricians and business owners and teachers. Sometimes it can get confusing between just being excited about Jesus and thinking that automatically means a call to ministry. One of the things that I have learned for myself over the years, if you don't have a strong sense of call, you're just not going to make it. The responsibility of a spiritual leader is to protect the sheep from the wolves. And I'll tell you this, oftentimes the wolves fight back. You put a target on your chest, and you understand it is game on. I can tell you from my heart, this was never my dream. 
I wasn't as a young man dreaming someday I'll get to be a pastor. Someday I want to be a preacher in a big church. It was never my dream. But through a series of events that I had no real control over, I ended up preaching in a church, and in the midst of that experience, I had an overwhelming sense of call. This is what God wants from me. For over 30 years, I have not doubted that call. It's a deeply fulfilling thing to know that there's, there's a, a sense of call and obedience in that, but I am telling you this, you need to understand if you accept that call, you're putting a target on your chest that's part of what you're signing up for. If you don't want that, then be a greeter at Walmart. But whether you're in the marketplace or whether you're in the church, if you're going to step up as a leader who is a Christian and you're going to represent the values of Christ, you have made yourself a target that is part of the calling. He says, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Uh, this idea of sordid gain is kind of the idea of, of money and stuff. Religion has always been big business. It was big business in the first century. It's big business today. And there's always been people who in the religious world have been able to accumulate uh, a lot of wealth and stuff. It was a problem then. It's a problem today. But when we think about this, so as we're thinking about kind of this concept of elders and pastors and spiritual leaders, there's kind of multiple layers to this. For those of us that are elders and pastors and leaders, the application seems fairly obvious. For uh, those of you in the congregation, there's also an awareness, this is what you should expect from your leaders. But I think anyone, as a Christian who's called to a position of leadership anywhere, out in the marketplace, on, a, on an athletic team, in a school, in a neighborhood, in a family, the principles still apply. What is it that motivates your call, your leadership? And we would, I think, all agree in 21st century America, this allure of money and stuff is a problem. So in the church culture, which is specifically what Peter's talking about, he's not talking about lay elders out in the marketplace that are pursuing money. He's talking about making money by being a pastor. So basically, who's at risk to go down that path? I would suggest to you it's not like the associate pastor. Nobody decides to be a youth pastor for the money. Nobody decides to be an associate pastor for the money. It's not the lay elders. They don't get paid anything. It's people like me. We are the ones that are at risk of getting sidetracked to kind of, to put it crudely, cash in on our position in order to make more money. I guess that's kind of crude and straight up. But, but here's what happens. In the Christian subculture, we have all kinds of 
pastors, musicians, writers who make millions and millions and millions of dollars. They live in mansions, they're on TV, they're on radio, they have jets. They jet set around and they've kind of cashed in. And what I've kind of watched over the years as a pastor is you kind of reach a point, seems like kind of in your 50s, where there's a little bit of a restlessness, you've kind of established yourself, and there's a temptation to kind of cash in on that, to write the books, to speak at the conferences, to get on the preaching circuit, radio and television, because there are millions and millions and millions of dollars that are available to do that. I think there are uh, there is a long list of preachers and Christians that started off very sincere for the sake of the gospel. God used them, and as they became more established, the allure of cashing in became greater and greater, and eventually they lose their way. It happens again and again and again. Ultimately, who suffers? Answer is the sheep. The wolves are moving in. The wolves are attacking. And the shepherd is nowhere to be found. The shepherd is cashing in. The shepherd is seeking significance. The shepherd is trying to build up a bank account. The shepherd is jet-setting here and there while the sheep are valuable. And the church suffers the consequence. I, by nature, am a people watcher. And one of the things I've watched over the years are my, my fellow preachers, kind of my peers and those older to me, and watch those that finish well and those that have lost their way and kind of tried to understand what makes the difference. And one of the things that I've seen as a, as a pattern is often preachers like me get in their 50s And for whatever reason, they get restless and they start to think about cashing it in and kind of getting a payday. One of the things I wanted to be true of me is is to stay true to the fact that my call is to be a pastor. It's to be a shepherd, is to live among the sheep. Part of this decade on purpose thing for me was a 100% commitment to Lincoln Berean. I pulled myself off all boards. I rarely speak anywhere outside the context of Lincoln Berean. My calling is to be the pastor and the shepherd of Lincoln Berean Church, and that's where I've dedicated my time and effort. As we move forward, and there will be a transition, one of the things that the elders have discussed is we want to be very diligent to weed out those candidates that see this as a platform, as a platform to advance their career, to write the books, to get on the preaching circuit. One of the things that grieves my heart is I think a lot of students today are going to seminary with this dream. They dream about being the next author. They dream about being the next conference speaker. They dream about kind of being the next Christian celebrity. And it's a very bad mindset when God has called you to shepherd the sheep. 
And so as we look at the transition to come, one of the things we're going to be very diligent about is we want someone who feels a strong sense of call to be a pastor and shepherd the sheep, not someone who is interested in using this as a platform to somehow advance a career. I think all of that is what Peter is talking about. The concern is cashing in on a position for personal gain. Verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. In the Greco-Roman culture, leadership was very heavy-handed. There was a strong sense of authority, do what you're told or else. I think that's what he's talking about, lording it over those in your charge. That's not what a shepherd does. That's not how a shepherd leads. If we go back to our imagery, that's more the cowboy with the bullwhip and all the hooting and hollering and driving the cattle. That's not what God calls us to as shepherds and elders and leaders. But I would say for any of us that are in positions of leadership anywhere in the community, to really think about what he just said. Because what he just said is it's not to use your position to somehow lord it over someone else. But rather the alternative is to be an example, to be a pattern Basically, what he's saying is you should be able to say to whoever, whoever it is that you lead, if you want to know how to live a hope-filled life in a culture of despair, just follow me. It's a very sobering thought, but that is the call of every leader It's not about making money. It's not about your significance. It's not about advancing your career. It's not about trying to be somebody. It's about understanding God has given you sheep and your responsibility is to shepherd these sheep, to care for them and to love them and to protect them and to uh, be part of the healing of their wounds and simply stated to say to them, if you want to know how to live a hope-filled life in a culture full of despair, Follow me. That's in essence what Peter just said. Verse uh, 4, And when the chief shepherd, that would be Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So when Jesus returns, uh, there will be this crown of glory. Now some people interpret this as like the pastors and elders get their own special crown. I think that's off. As a matter of fact, I think it's way off. I think there's a consistent biblical theology that all of us have a calling. And all of us are equally responsible to be faithful to our calling. Nobody's more than, nobody's less than. Nobody ends up with a special crown. The elders is plural, but when he says the crown is singular, So I think what he's saying is that when we do our job correctly, then we all join in the celebration, this grand victory celebration when Jesus returns. So I have my responsibility, you have your responsibility. Part of me, uh, my responsibility as your pastor is to help you fulfill your responsibility and we all join in the celebration 
the victory celebration when Jesus returns. I, th- I think that's what he's referring to. Verse 5, then, you younger men, and I think that's kind of a cultural reflection, younger people, men and women, uh, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. You know, in every generation throughout history, there's always been a bit of a struggle with younger generations submitting to the older generation. That's part of how we're wired. That's that's always going to be true. I do think in 21st century kind of American Christian culture, there are some uh, problems with this, though. I think we've become so individualized. We've become so selfish and self-centered, and everything's about me that we've kind of reduced a lot of our Christianity down to this is just between me and Jesus and nobody can tell me what to do. And a lot of those people have dismissed the idea of church. I am the church. I don't need all of that. And they find their favorite preacher online and they've convinced themselves that's kind of what God wants for them. And in in essence, they're unwilling to submit to the leadership of the church. I always find it ironic that these same people that are unwilling to submit to leadership in a church go right out into the marketplace and expect the people under them to submit to their leadership. So they expect to be respected as authority, but they themselves don't want to respect authority. But here's the deal. This morning, those people aren't here. They're not here because they don't need to be here. So what's the point of going on with that conversation? So I want to flip it over a little bit. Because the reality is, I think that is true, and I think it is a problem. But I think there's always been a remnant that seek to be faithful to what God has called them to. If you go to a lot of churches in Lincoln today, you see either a lot of old people or you see a lot of young people. One of the things that's a distinctive of Lincoln Berean Church is you see a lot of people of all ages mixing together. One of the things that really excites me is we have great younger generation people. People in their 30s, people in their 20s, people in their teens. These are people that love Jesus. These are people that love this church. These are people that give of their time and their talent and treasure. These are people that live with a sense of call, and they would say, count me in. These are people who have been wonderfully honoring and respectful to people like me and the other elders and pastors and people on staff. And rather than kind of... uh, rebuking the people that aren't here, which makes no sense, it makes more sense to me to celebrate the awesome people that are here. And this younger generation that is going to take up the baton and they are going to lead and they're going to lead the generations under them. And I believe the best days of Lincoln Berean are still out in front. I'm super excited about this younger generation. I think we're in great hands. And I think that's something that we celebrate together because there's always a remnant that says, I want to be obedient, I want to follow Jesus, and God is going to use them to be world changers, and we're blessed to have so many of them among us as part of our family at Lincoln Brian. So that's, to me, the better way to turn that. The last thing he says, then, is the sub, uh, be subject 
to your elders and all, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So everyone, together, all of us, the idea of clothe is a Greek word that uh, referred to a, a slave putting on his or her apron. It's the idea of putting on the clothing of a servant, and we all come together, we serve one another in humility, ultimately for the cause of Christ. There is a reminder, a verse from Proverbs, that if you're proud, God has his way of humbling you. He will oppose you, he will refine you, he will take you through the leadership school of leadership until that pride is, is gone. For those that are humble, God favors that, he celebrates that, he blesses that. But at the end of the day, we all come together as the people of God, humbly serving one another for the cause of Christ. Peter's talked about that several times. So kind of to bring this to a close, it's not really complicated. If God has called you to be a leader, whether it's a leader at church or out in the marketplace, in your family, in your school, on your athletic team, wherever God has you, he has called you to be a shepherd. He has not given you that position just to make money. He's not given you that position to cash in. He's not given you that position in order to somehow find significance or advance your career or to try to be somebody or to take advantage of the people that you've been called to lead. God has called you as a Christian leader to be a shepherd, to live among the sheep, to love the sheep, to guide the sheep, to lead the sheep, to feed the sheep, to water the sheep, to protect the sheep to genuinely oversee and care about those sheep. And ultimately, it's the responsibility of all of us as leaders to say to the people whom we lead, if you want to understand how to live as a hope-filled person in a culture of despair, just follow our Father, we're sobered by the reality of our calling as leaders. Whether it's within the context of this church or out in the marketplace, at school or at home, it's a sober calling. Not for personal advancement, not for personal gain, but to rightly represent the message of Jesus. Lord, may we be faithful as leaders to our calling. In Jesus' name, amen.